As we talked over the last couple of weeks, again, we normally are in a, a longer series in a book of the Bible, but I felt like it's important for us to begin looking at stewardship again because stewardship is not just about our money. Uh, I want you to know it's, it's uh, a joy to preach on stewardship when things are good and things have been very faithful over the last uh, six years or the last year faithfully. Our church is strong. And so uh, this is coming from a position of, of strength and not of uh-oh, but a position of I want you to continue in your faithfulness that you have continued to walk in. But that's not just your money. It's also your time and your talent and your treasure. So we're looking at stewardship from the perspective of all three of those things during this short series. We'll wrap it up next week, and then we're getting the book of Acts together for a long series in the book of Acts uh, following that. But thank you for your faithfulness in regard to that. Now, if you're at home, or for some of you who are in the house, like, you know what, I really don't like writing down notes. Like, some of you are like, I really don't like writing down notes. So some of you take pictures of the screen. I get it. I understand that. But if you'd like to, we actually presented uh, notes online as well. So you can go online and you can fill them in and even save them to your smartphone or device. It makes it easier for you. And you can even put notes and applications there if you'd like to do that along the way. Now, uh, to this point, we've defined biblical stewardship this way. So uh, if you've missed the last couple of weeks, I'm going to define it for you again. I don't have time to recap the last two weeks. Uh, I'm going to just jump off into the third part of this thing today, and so we can, we can go together in this, okay? So biblical stewardship is this. It's the obedient and worshipful management and investment of God's gracious Gifts. It's both management and investment of God's gracious gifts. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Of time, talent, and treasure. So your, your minutes, your gifts, and your money are given to you by God. Newsflash, right? And they are to be used for God's glory. Ultimately, for the, for the glory of God and the advancement of the gospel. That is what biblical stewardship looks like. So we've looked at over the last couple of weeks, if you notice up here, that less is more. We don't have to keep up with the Joneses because if you got more money, you got more problems, right? There's a song about that. The more stuff you got on your calendar, the more stressed out we become, right? And it's hard to manage the ever-filling calendar of our lives. COVID caught us a break for about a, a year or so, but now all of a sudden our calendars are filling back up. And so we realize that sometimes less is more. In fact, most times, when it comes to stewardship, less is more. Last week, we talked about something we all can agree upon. Stress is bad. Very simple truth. Stress is bad. And it comes as a, from a lot of different directions and how we view things and what we allow to take priority in our life. And so stress is bad. Again, it's bad stewardship. Bad stewardship leads to stress. Stress is a stewardship issue. Time, talent, treasure, right? Today, we're going to talk about what you would expect when it comes to a stewardship Series Like, we're going to talk about giving, aren't we? Yes, because God's Word talks about giving. I want you to think of the framework this morning, though, not just about your money. We're going to talk about your money in just a moment. But I also want you to think about giving of your time and your talents as well. I'm thankful for people in our church who have made Parker, D.C. a great church the last six years by the way that you give your time and your talent as well. We have people who serve in capacities around here uh, that I could never feel, all right, uh, one person can't do it all. A few people can't do it all. It takes us working in partnership together. I'm thankful for that. That is an application of stewardship. So I want you to think about giving today, not just from your pocketbooks ex expression, but also from your time and your talent 
as well. Now, in 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing this church in Corinth. Now, if you know anything about 2 Corinthians, Paul writes a lot of letters to the churches. Corinth is a little bit of a troublemaker church, not anything like us, right? Because we're never troublemaker churches, right? All right. Okay. And so he's writing to this church and he's encouraging them to give. Now, what are they giving to? Now, uh, in the day of the first century church, the church began in Jerusalem. And you remember the, remember the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit of God came and showed up. We just sang about that. And the church was birthed in that moment. And Peter preaches a great sermon. 3,000 people get saved, and there's the church, man. And it's glorious. It's beautiful. It's raw. They don't have no organization. They certainly got no buildings. They ain't got no budgets. They got no problems. It's just the church, right? Y'all with me? Say, so, uh-huh, right? It's grand, but it's also crazy because there's no organization. Now, I'm OCD to a fault. I like organization. I like to know what's going on and what's going on down the road. I like that kind of thing. There was none of that in the early church. Of course, uh, the next few weeks and months, the gospel begins to go further out in Jerusalem. At one point, it says some 5,000 men. That's not including uh, more women and children coming into the church. The church was growing. And all of a sudden, in Jerusalem, it said at one point, most historians believe that a quarter of Jerusalem was actually Christian in the first six months. A quarter of Jerusalem was perhaps Christian in the first six months. So Jerusalem has this massive church. But then something happened. You know, with every good, positive work of God, there's an equal, it's like the laws of, of, of physics, right? There's an equal, uh, uh, I'm not good to say, is it G, what is it now? Thank you. All right, so there's this opposite against, thank you, I'm, like, I'm, I'm a preacher, I don't know what I'm doing up here. Anyway, I should never talk about science, amen, right? Thank you. So I uh, certainly shouldn't reference my name. Anyway, so there's this equal force against the church, right? And it's, and it's Satan and the enemy, and he's trying to destroy the church. And he, do, he does so by forces inside and outside the church. And so the church begins experiencing lots of persecution, tremendous amount of persecution, which drives the church outside of Jerusalem, okay? And begins to go into other places, not only in Israel, but even into some Gentile regions. The next thing you know, as our men's Sunday school class, we talked about this recently, the church really began moving its headquarters up to a place called Antioch. Antioch was in the northern side of Israel. It's really in a Gentile region, mostly Jews there, beginning to reach some Gentile peoples. And the hub of Christianity moved there. From there, Paul was sent out. Paul and a handful of other missionaries sent out across the Mediterranean Rim and would go everywhere all across the Mediterranean Rim, planting churches, evangelizing, sharing the gospel, and seeing what God would do. Now, Corinth was one of these churches that Paul helped plant, one of these churches that Paul had a lot to do with it. And over the course of years, the same church that Paul would plant began to struggle because Paul would leave these places and go plant more churches. And when Paul was away, you know, when the, mice, uh, the, cat, the cat's away, the mice play sometimes. And so the, the church had some issues that would happen. And so Paul would write four letters to Corinth. We only have two of them in, in our copy of scriptures, okay? Four of them total addressing some of the issues, and really a call back to the gospel and a call back to what's most important and to biblical living again. Now, while all this happening, Jerusalem church is struggling. The Jerusalem church has had a lot of forces against it. When, when Pentecost took place, many of the people who were there uh, who came to Pentecost were Jews coming for a festival, you know, and so they heard the gospel, were saved, didn't go back home. They stayed where the church was because they wanted to be taught under the leadership of the apostles. And so there began to be a financial burden in Jerusalem. What do you do with all of these pilgrims who have stayed now and they can't continue paying uh, a hotel rent? There's not enough hotels and they really weren't that great. It wasn't like the Holiday Inn Express around here, right? So what do we do with those people? 
What do we do with the persecution, which is making people lose their jobs and their families because they're coming to Christ, and therefore they are denouncing Judaism in the sense that they're no longer a devout Jew. They are, they are believing in Christ for their salvation. So what, what happens to this growing group of people in Jerusalem? They're becoming very poor. What do you do with that? Well, here's the beauty of the gospel. The gospel begins to take uh, people from all nations, all tribes, and all tongues, and to care for one another. And so the churches that Paul's planning, they begin to give graciously to the needs of the really original church back in Jerusalem. Paul is making these rounds, and they, they keep on taking up a love offering. We Baptists in the world know it as love offering, right? right? Remember the little love offering envelopes you put money into, right? And, and, and you take it up, and you send it off to a specific purpose. That's what this is, this is a love offering. Now, some of these churches were very wealthy. Some of these churches were very poor. In this case, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, before we get to our chapter tonight, he's talking about the churches in Macedonia. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 8, or 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 3 and 4. Paul says, for they, this church in Macedonia, according, uh, gave according to their means, as I can testify, and they even beyond their means, as of their own accord, begging us, like a poor church. These were not wealthy individuals, begging us, for the opportunity, for the earnestly, for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. So some of these churches were poor, and they they wanted to give. Like they like they yeah. You didn't have to you didn't have to ask, and they were like, "Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. Where where, where can I give?" Right. Now, we don't find that in the Baptist world today, like, oh, we got to give, oh, gosh, right? There's not the enthusiasm, like, let me give. But Macedonia, man, they wanted to give. Corinth was a little different. Corinth had said they were going to give, and they had a lot more to give. But Paul's writing this letter ahead to say, hey, get ready to give because your time is coming. So if you look down at chapter 8, verse uh, 14, he talks about that. Verse 13 and 14, he says, For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance, verse 14, at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need and there may be fairness. So Paul's encouraging, hey, the church in Corinth, hey, get ready to give because there's opportunity to give in the very near future. Now, we look at this and thinking giving is a bad thing, like opportunity to give. Like, is that something we should long for? And biblically, the answer is yes. Giving is partnering with God to do his work. I'll say it again. Giving is partnering with God to do his work. That's time, that's talent, and that is treasure. Giving is partnership with God. So if you have your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I want to pick up now in our text this morning, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting verse 8. And God is made able to make all grace abound to you. Listen carefully. So that having all sufficiency, if you have a Bible and you're circling your underlining words in Bible, circle the words all here and every. All grace abound to you that having all sufficiency in all all times, in all things, and at all times, you may abound in every good work. So I'm going to read it one more time. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things and at all times, you may abound in every good work. As is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, y'all with me? Say, uh-huh. All right. He who supplies seed, God to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. There's a principle here that's really important. If you have a worship God, I want you to write this principle down, the first one there. The size of the harvest is directly proportional 
to the amount sown. This is like a duh statement, right? I feel almost stupid even saying this. The size of the harvest is directly proportional to the amount sown. A farmer does not go out there with a little small box of seed and acres worth to plant and say, here, I'll come back in a few weeks and uh, I'll get y'all together. And just expect the whole field. It's not the way that it works. What you put in the ground is what you can expect to come out of the ground when it's, once it has matured in the ground, right? Sometimes spiritually we want to put just a little bit in the ground with our time, talent, and treasure, and, but we want to get a lot, Right? We don't invest much, but we expect much, right? This is a, this is a sin on, on our part. Now, I want you to be careful with this, okay? This is uh, one of the things I have grown very strongly convicted by over the last couple of years is Christianity has turned to a false gospel in the health, wealth, prosperity movement. Health, wealth, prosperity movement says, hey, if I put some seed in the ground, God's obligated to give me X amount more, Right? I just have to, I have to do my part, and I'm going I'm to force God's hand to do another part. That's not what I'm saying here. And I don't think that's what the Bible teaches at all. Because even in his promises, God is under no obligation to mankind. I'm going to say it again. Even in his promises, God is under no obligation to you and I. Not, so, not at all. Now, it's his grace, his mercy that he gives us what he gives us. And his promises are extensions of his mercy and his grace. But he is not obligated to me and he's not obligated to you. We do what, I, what we do and God does what he does, but we can't force his hand. He is not the proverbial genie in a box, church. We're not talking about that. We're talking about sowing seed and letting God mature that seed in his purposes, in his purposes for his glory church. Proverbs chapter 11 says this, one gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Here's the principle. When you sow seed, you get a harvest. When you don't sow, you don't get a harvest. Whoever brings blessings will be enriched and the one who waters will himself be watered. Luke chapter 6 verse 38, Jesus teaches the principle. He says, give and it'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, we put into your lap. For with the measure, this is important, with the measure you use, we measured back to you. Some of us like to get, excuse me for using the expression, have a little shot glass full of seed, and then we want a whole gallon pitcher full of harvest. Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. Now, we can't force God to give us a million dollars. We be faithful. We, we are to be faithful with what God has given us. And God will give us what we're faithful with. He'll give back to us in some sense. Now, it's not, I mean, it's not mean that you know, if I give $100, God's obligated to give me 1000 That's not the way this works. It means you be faithful and let God be faithful. Amen? That is biblical stewardship. Number two, your worship God. Giving is a heart issue. It is a heart issue and not just a head issue. Not a head issue. Well, some people, well, that means you don't have to think about it, right? You don't want to use my brain. I'm not saying don't think. I'm not saying don't be rational. However, we give where our loyalties lie in our heart. Isn't that true? Right? This is why oftentimes I hear people say, well, I, I really can't. And we'll talk about money for a second. I really can't give to the church because I have other bills. Giving it's not a bill to be paid. Say it again. Giving is not a bill to be paid. Giving is a 
an opportunity to invest on the front side, on the front side, as the Lord has commanded. We'll talk about that in a minute. Although I'm, I'm sure I won't get too many amens because everybody, oh no, right? You know, here we go, right? On the front side, we get to be a partners with God in this. Well, I can't, I don't have that much money. You will be surprised, my friend, how much money you have and resources you have if you'll be faithful with the first 10. I'm just saying. You'll be shocked. It doesn't make sense when it comes to the math. I'm not very good with math and science. I've already proven that in this message, right? You know, amen, right? It doesn't make sense by the math. But by God's math, his economy, his resources, and his checkbook, it always makes sense in his economy. Amen? It's a heart issue, not a head issue. We give because we first love God and we love his creation. We love people. That motivates our giving. John MacArthur said this. He said, while it's possible to give without loving, it is not possible to love without giving. Think of the gospel. Think about the gospel. For God so loved the world that he what? He, okay, that was terrible. That he what? Gave, right? The gospel is the gospel of giving. Not to leverage some emotional response, right? But to save our soul. Same way now. It's not the emotion, emotional response, but that we work as partners in his redemptive will. That's why we give. We give because we love him. We love his commands, and we love people. First John three seventeen. John says, If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? If you know the truth, walk in truth, because you love the truth. Amen? Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11. Listen carefully. He says, You'll be enriched. Uh-oh, I get to be rich. No, 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 enriched. Doesn't mean you're going to be rich, okay? God's going to bless you, but not necessarily all the way you want it to bless you. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. So not only are you meeting a, a physical need of the church in Jerusalem and the people who desperately need those resources, Corinth, but you're also producing worship and praise to God for your obedience to do what you're doing, right? So there's a physical response, but there's a spiritual response as well. Anne Frank said this, you know Anne Frank, she was a survivor of the Holocaust, wonderful uh, Jewish uh, writer, author, diarist. She said this, no one has ever become poor by giving. No one. You, know, you ever ask somebody who's in a really bad situation, well, how did you get there? Well, I gave away too much. No. Poverty doesn't come by giving. Poverty comes by hoarding, doesn't it? Poverty comes by greed. Number three in your worship guide, number next in your bullets. We'll get to the list in just a minute. I know I'm giving you principles. I'm giving you a few more fill in the blanks. Just hang with me, okay? I'll get you to Mother's Day lunch in about an hour, hour and a half, okay? Number next, we obstruct God's blessings. I'm kidding. No, not about that, but about the lunch thing, okay? We obstruct God's blessings by our greed and our self-centeredness. We do. There's, there's a lot of things that we're going to be held accountable for in heaven one day, born-again Christian. 
I believe this. When we get to heaven, God's going to hold us accountable for what we did, but also for what we didn't do. And that God wanted to do in us or through us. And I'll be honest with you, that's probably the scarier thought for me. Like, what, what blessings could I have had and used if I had done this, if I had been faithful here, right? Well, that's, that's not just about money. That's about my time. What if I had used my time better here? What blessings could God have here? But I, I wasted my time here or I put my time in something I didn't need to put my time in and therefore I missed this blessing. We, just, we obstruct God's blessings by doing that. With my talent, I, I know, God, you give me this talent and stuff, but I really wanted to use it over here. And God says, no, no, if you to use it over here, although this might have been more modest to begin with, but the blessings down the line here were greater than what looked right over here. Right? Isn't that true? So we obstruct what God really wants because we do what we want. And we make our wants really the priority of our life. Our perceived need is often the result of our continual greed. That's the reality. Prosperity comes from giving, church, not getting. We live in a world, the American dream is acquire, 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 acquire more. And what you acquire is more headaches and more stress, more maintenance and more sin. Instead of acquiring, why don't we use what God has put in our hands already for his purposes and his glory. It's not about acquiring, it's about actually giving. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse 13. By their approval of the service, now this is beauty. This is the beauty of the gospel. I, can't, I get excited about weird things. I'm a preacher, you know. I'm looking at the text, I'm like, man, that's just flat stinking awesome, okay? This is, this is cool stuff about the gospel. The gospel has a way to, to tear down dividing walls of hostility between ethnicities, people groups. Here, these Jews who've come to Christ and, and they're questioning, like, is the gospel really relevant? Is it is applicable to Gentiles? And now all these Gentile churches uh, who believed in Christ are taking up a love offering to help support them. And now what's, what's happening now is their need is being met by those they originally opposed. That's what the gospel does. Listen, by their approval of this service now, the Jewish church who's taken, receiving this gift, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ. It's like, listen, your giving has authenticated your salvation. You know, listen, we'll, we'll preach here, preach. Right, that's, that's like old school Roman Catholicism. Like, you know, uh, before the Reformation, they're like, you're buying into spiritual things. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it was fruit. Your giving was fruit of a changed heart. What do you say? So your submission flowing from the confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you, see what the gospel does, from hostility now to love. They long for you and they pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Hey, and where is all, what's the common denominator? Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift, i.e. Jesus. Amen. What, what makes us great givers? Jesus does. Jesus does. Number last, in the, before we get to the principles, giving is an obvious fruit of having received the greatest gift of salvation. 
heard one pastor say it this way, you're never more like Jesus than when you give. And that may be true. Giving is an obvious fruit of having received the greatest gift of salvation. Max Lucado said this, when grace happens, generosity happens. When grace happens, generosity happens. Why is it that there are people in the world who are lost as the day is long, that they definitely don't live by any kind of Judeo-Christian values, but there are generous, great givers, and yet the church who has supposedly been purchased back by the blood of Christ, we are the last ones often to give. That should never be. When we look at the needs in our world today, the needs for time, talent, and treasure, you know who should be leading the force? The church. The church. I'm not being political, but it shouldn't be the government. It shouldn't be other social groups, political activist groups. It shouldn't be any of those things. It should be the church that steps up and takes care of the needs of our world. Why are we failed in this area? It's because we have forgotten the grace of Jesus. Jesus makes us great givers. Winston Churchill said this, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. Isn't that true? Living is really giving. Acts 20, verse 35. In all things I have shown to you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus and how he himself said to the apostles, Paul saying, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So I'm going to give you some principles like I've done the last couple of weeks. Uh, not principles of contentment or stress management, but I'm going to give you some principles of giving, okay? Some of these you know, some of these are obvious. In many cases, I'm just repeating what you already know. I'm just reminding you of these things as we step forward in this series, all right? Number one, giving is an opportunity of obedience and not a payment for services, <laughs> giving is an opportunity of obedience and not a payment for services. We gotta be very careful the way we look at our money. Let's talk about money for a second. We look at our money, our income, we begin to break out like, okay, we've got, this has to go to the light bill because lights are good, right? This has to go to food because food is really good, amen, right? Land the plane, preacher, we gotta go eat, right? right? So we, this is for groceries, right? We gotta have that. Uh, most of you like to live in a nice house, and so you have you got your you got your rent, you got your mortgage, you got that, you know, you've got your car, you got your clothes, you got all this. And this is it. And then we got our tithe. And we put our tithe right on equal footing with our light bill. Equal footing with our car insurance. But the thing is, giving is it's not a payment for services. Giving is a partnership with the gospel on the front. So we don't, if you're really biblically, you're not even looking at that first percentage. We'll talk about it in a minute. You're not even looking at it. You, just already, you already assume that's already God's. I'm not even worried about that number. I'm just worried about this number. This I can pay the bills with. This is already gone. Because this is what God's told me to do. Don't make giving a payment. It is not a utility to be paid. Number two, giving is not about the numbers but about faith. 
Like preachers, preachers talk about money. The church must need some money again. Oh, we need more people working in the nursery. God, well, preachers talk about nursery again. Here we go. I need you to give by serving. Right, here we go again. It's all about the numbers. Let me tell you something. The church, this is going to shock. Our stewardship team brought the cringe up when I say this. I know it. And they're going to be like, I'm, I'm going to get a phone call tomorrow. The church doesn't need your money. The church needs your obedience. The church needs your faith. When you walk in obedience with him and his word, when you, what you give, your time, talent, and treasure will service all the needs of the church. There'll never be a point the church has to come back and say, hey, we need, we need X amount of money because what we've done in obedience has already covered it, right? Now, are we there yet? No, we're not there. We're, we're getting there. Faithfully, we're getting there. But we're not, as a church, there yet. One day I hope we will be. One of the days in youth ministry, Brother Will, uh, I, I, hate, I hate fundraisers. I hate them with a the passion. I dream of a day where we never have to do another fundraiser because our giving has been so blessed, so good. Hey, hey how much money do we got to go to that mission trip? Write the check. How, how much do we need to do for, for this project? Everybody's in agreement, stewardship, deacons, church agreement, write the check, right? We never have to go back and do fundraisers because we've been faithful on the front side. And then we don't have to come back and beg on the backside of it. So giving is not about numbers. It's about our faith. As your pastor, listen carefully. I am more concerned about your faith than the, the amount on your check. Much more concerned. Giving is a faith. It's a spiritual discipline, right? I trust God that he'll do more with my whatever percentage, 80%, 90%, whatever, than I can do with my 100%. And when God proves faithful, as he always does, then my faith grows. Amen? Amen? Stewardship is not about managing what is immediately at your disposal, church, but obeying God who has endless resources. You look at your ability to give based upon what you have on your calendar or in your check account, I'm guessing, right? Stop. Your ability to give is not based upon what's on your calendar or your checking account, but upon his providential will and his endless resources. I'm pretty sure God's got more money than you. I'm just, just saying, right? God's got more money than Donald Trump, all right? He got more money than you. All right. Number three, the first responsibility of giving is tithing to the local church. Now, preacher, what do you mean by that? Isn't that like old school? No. We, we don't disregard the Old Testament just because so we don't understand it. There's a principle of tithing that is taught in the Old Testament and affirmed in the New Testament. I'm going to read these verses to you. Here's the Old Testament law. This is for Mosaic law, just Jews, okay? Listen carefully. Leviticus 27, verse 30 says, Every tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. So the next time you go out and you, and you get some apples, then one out of every ten of them, the word tenth, the tithe literally means tenth. you got to put one aside for the Lord, all right? That's the Old Testament law. Well, y'all are thinking, we're not Old Testament law people, right? We're Gentiles. Well, Old Testament talks more. Proverbs chapter 3, Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Purpose and the, the blessings of that is that your barns be filled with plenty and your vats be bursting with wine. We ain't talking about that. We're Baptists, right? right? But nonetheless, honor the Lord with your first fruits. Malachi chapter 3. We're still in the Old Testament. This is what God's word says. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. 
We're talking about an old school, Old Testament, like what's the storehouse? That would be the temple treasury itself, right? That there may be food in my house. Oh, but the temple is the house of the Lord. So is anything changed to the tithe that we stepped in the new covenant work era? And the answer is no. There's been no change for those who are God's people to continue to, to, continue to do that law in the New Testament. Why do, why do you know that? Well, number, number one, the church is not necessarily the storehouse of the temple, but it is the place where the, church, or the people of Jesus gather. It is the, the, the launching point of the gospel. So the, the church, the local church, operates as the storehouse in that sense. Number two, and here's even better for you. Jesus was never passive about which law to obey, which law not to obey. If there was a, a moment where uh, the Jewish religious leaders of his day were taking law to extreme or nullifying a law, Jesus would call them out on it, okay? Jesus was not a sissy. Jesus never, never revoked the law of the tithe. In fact, Matthew chapter 23, in a blatant, just, I mean, absolutely almost mean rebuttal to the Pharisees. This is what Jesus says. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. So you do the law over here, but you have forgotten the application of the law, which is justice and mercy and faithfulness. Listen carefully. This is what Jesus says. These you ought to have done. Did Jesus just nullify the tithe? No, he says, you, you, should, you should do that without neglecting the others. So Jesus, who is the fulfillment of the Old Testament law, affirms the Old Testament law in regard to the tithe. Okay? So, oh, well, we can't tithe because that's Old Testament law. No, 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 no. Jesus affirms it. Therefore, I'm going to preach it and I'm going to practice it. That's the way I work as a New Testament Christian. Amen? Amen. If you're like, I don't know about all that. John Wesley says, not, 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 now much... Now, much of my money, how much of my money, excuse me, will I give to God? But how much of God's money will I keep to myself? That's the question. How much of God's money will I keep to myself? Because there's already a precedent of how much that I'm supposed to give away. That's the tithe. All right? Number four. All right, so tithing is literally, by definition, the first ten. Preacher, you talk about like before tax or after tax. I believe you have to look at the whole. That's before tax. Render to Caesar, that is for Caesars. You don't want the IRS after you, trust me, okay? All right? But first 10, that's God's. Not a bill to be paid, but that's God's. But number four, tithing is just the beginning of our giving. Now, time, talent, treasure, think about it. It's just the beginning. Well, some people say, well, I tithe by, by serving. That's not the biblical definition of a tithe. That's serving. Praise God for serving. You should be doing that without neglecting the tithe as well. But that's above the tithe. It's called an offering, by the way. An offering is God has prompted my heart not to live, not to give 10%, but 11% or 12 or 15 or whatever else. And that's to the local church. Or God has prompted my heart to give my 10% to the local church. That's the storehouse. But God has this other great ministry opportunity over here with Compassion International. Maybe I give there. Or Four Corners Ministry in Uganda. Maybe I give there. Or maybe there's a need, somebody in my community right now that has, has great needs that I can give out of, out of just a heart for love for them. That's, listen, the tithe is the beginning point, but it's certainly not the cap of giving. Number last, I'll be quick, I promise you. Number last, sometimes, this is, this is hard to grasp, sometimes helping can hurt. 
one of the hardest uh, discussions we have in our church ministry is when you want to meet everybody's needs. And over the last year, we've seen a lot of needs come through. Uh, Virginia and Danny and Bob and, and Randy, we've, we've stewardship system, we've walked through these, these needs together. And, and man, there, there's things that come through. And you just, I just, I'm the kind of guy, man, I, if we meet every need we can meet. Just meet them all. But at some point, giving can actually hurt somebody. Now, sometimes it's for the giver. Like if you have such a, a soft heart to giving without any kind of parameter or discernment or wisdom or praying about it, what happens is often you hurt yourself by giving away so much that you hurt your family. And, and good thing, giving, actually hurts you. In some cases, this is important when it comes to giving. Think about this. In some cases, however, giving somebody else allows somebody else to take advantage of your giving. It's one thing to help somebody. It's another thing to enable a problem. Preacher, you're being mean, and I'm not being mean, but our giving has to have wisdom attached to it, has to have prayer attached to it. We meet the needs when they're obvious needs, and the Holy Spirit of God, I operate in this like you meet the need unless the Holy Spirit of God checks your heart. That's the way I operate. Meet the need unless the Holy Spirit of God says stop. And when the, the Holy Spirit of God says stop, by all means, stop and pray. Because what we might be doing actually is hurting. These are five principles of giving. I think they're important, all right? Number one, listen, we give. We give because God gave, Jesus. And therefore, this is not an obligation. This is a joy, church. Now, okay, I'm at the end of a, of a giving sermon, and what do you expect, Joey? People to get saved. I, I've seen it happen before, okay? So if you're lost out there, know this. Jesus loves you so very much. Jesus was God's greatest gift for you. And so as a result of that, today, if you don't have Jesus in your life, if you've never repented of your sin, repent of your sin today and place your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ. You can be saved today. Giving sermon, yes, okay? But more importantly, no, not more importantly, but for the rest of us who are born-again believers, I want you to think about your giving practices. Number one, are you looking at it the right way? Or you come into the giving moment in the service, and we give in just a few minutes, we walk out of here, we're giving, oh, I gotta give that. Or are you saying, as God's heart would want us to have a cheerful giver, or are we saying, yes, I get to give today. There's been times in my life I didn't have much to give, and it was a joy to give, but I didn't have much to give. Isn't that ironic? You didn't have much, it was more joyful to give little than it was much. Why has it changed when we have much? Maybe the dollar amount may be more. There might be an extra zero or decimal point or wherever. It might have been moved. But why does that change our obedience to the commands of God? Let us give. Give joyfully as a church. My dream, I have a dream. I have a dream. That we will be known for several things in our church. Number one, that we are praying people. Number two, that we are giving people. If our church is known by those two things, we will reach this community. We're praying people, we are giving people. Watch out. There's no limit what God can do.